Children are the heritage of the Lord. And as Beverly and I have learned, they grow up in a hurry and start having children. And so we're excited about our ever-increasing, expanding uh, uh, repertoire of grandchildren. Little Taylor Deanne is still at home today. I went by last night and got a little love from her. And I hope to introduce her to you shortly, uh, hopefully next week. But it's, uh, children are just a blast. Amen. In fact, let me just say, uh, parents, hey, my kids are parenting better than I ever did. I don't know how that happened. Uh, they just, they realize, I ain't no way I'm going to do what my daddy did. Uh, but they're just doing great. You know, little Ty, we had him a few days in the middle of all this birthing. And, you know, I'm kind of a toughian, you know, and, and I'm just kind of, my only methodology, you better stop that, I'm going to wear you out. That's just all I know, you know. You better stop, I'm going to wear you out. Well, in some cases it does work, in some cases it doesn't. But I've learned from my oldest daughter, she has a way to know how to process these little three-and-a-half-year-old brains that I never did. So, hey, I hope you're growing and learning and, and expanding your repertoire of insight into children. As I am, even at 50, am I 56, Beverly? 56? Yeah, okay. So, love children and a lot of great things going on with our children, even as school starts. And so, we love the family and we love uh, involving everyone we can in God's family. Let me just say, I don't think the announcements came up today, but let me throw a few things out. All the men stand up. If you're a real man, I want you to stand up. All the real men stand up. Guys, tonight is man church. Everyone say man church. Man, I want all you guys to come and bring your friends to man church. It's right over here on the highway, right? Uh, it used to be what it used to be, the Lone Star Restaurant. It's Jack's Diner. It's order off the menu. There's a room in the back. We'll all go to there. We're going to have some time together. And you know what, guys? I'm going to declare over you men uh, at Jack's Diner that God would multiply the, what his, he has put into your hand and supernatural increase and blessing. Let me just say, I need a lot of you guys to be so blessed financially that your tithe helps take care of salaries and, 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 and the payment of this building and then expands the kingdom. How many of you would like to be used by God that way? So guys, I'm going to do that tonight. We're going to have great fellowship, uh, but we're going to just declare the blessing of God over you. You deserve to be blessed if you're a giver. This morning I wrote something down. Uh, I'm a blessed man and I'm going to be busy about the day of being a blessing. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give it my best shot. And so that's what tonight's all about. It's going to be great fun. Man church tonight at 630. Guys, you can be seated uh, and uh, we're going to have a great time together. Uh, in fact, I see one of our men, Shannon, he did a, tri is it a triathlon yesterday. Give the Shannon a hand. He just blessed my heart. He, hey, man, he's an inspiration. So I just thought, man, it's a triathlon me to get up. That's one part, you know, and get going and then get back home. That's my triathlon. So uh, way to go. And then let me just say a couple things about Wednesday night. This Wednesday night is an evening of worship. And our theme that will launch us into September, our theme Wednesday night. Uh, and uh, um, uh, where's Kelly? Kelly's around here somewhere. The whole worship team's going to be here. Our theme Wednesday night is, a, is a, an evening of surrender. We're going to really surrender ourselves to the control and influence of God. And all through, as we move on in after next Wednesday into September, our Wednesday nights will have that same theme. And here's the key thing you need to understand about surrender. The altar is the place of surrender, right? And every Wednesday night with a word and some worship and, and some real altar ministry where we lay ourselves on the altar of God and surrender ourselves and our lives to Him. 
We've got a great theme going. So this Wednesday, I want to encourage you to come and be ready to worship and ready to just surrender. We may even have some white flags that we just, hey, I'm surrendering my life to the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a great Wednesday night emphasis. Laura Beth talked about routine. Let's get into the routine of Wednesday night. I know I see Ryan back there. You know, he, he works really hard as well as our children's team uh, to, to minister to the young people on a regular basis. Summer's over. Let's get them into the routine of Wednesday night. Listen, your child, when you think they're asleep because you want to get them to bed at 8.30, most of the time they're, they're up under the covers texting their friends. Come on. So let's get them to Wednesday night and let them get the word of the Lord. Uh, and, and let's make Wednesday night a priority as we get back in the routine. So look over all these things in your bulletin. First Tuesday's coming up. A lot of great things. Uh, so uh, it's exciting to see what God is doing. Let me say as we begin tonight, I hope you have, or today, I hope you have your Bibles. I want you to turn to two places. The two places I want you to turn to is the book of James and 1 Corinthians 10. In that order, the book of James and 1 Corinthians 10. Hold your places there. Uh, you can put your thumb in one and, uh, and the ribbon in another. Uh, and uh, as you're doing that, let me introduce to you uh, where we've been. Now today, let me just say, I've got a message I want to share with you that that really needs to be a whole series within and of itself. We may do that at a later time. I say that and I preface that this message with this. I've got a lot to say and it's very important. I really believe today's message is very important. So don't panic at noon, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, don't panic at noon. Just don't panic. I, I understand the time element. I, I feel like I've got plenty of time, but I just want to preface it with, hey, let's just relax and let God speak to us. And so with that in mind, we jump back into our series called Uncharted Waters. Everyone say Uncharted Waters. The whole theme of this series from Joshua, and we'll go there in a little bit, from looking at the children of Israel and the life of Joshua and his leadership, and even from Moses, we're learning uh, some important uh, life lessons of spiritual progress. Uh, in fact, this will be the fourth one, and I'll tell you the first three in just a moment, but we're learning life lessons of spiritual progress. That's the whole theme. You see, to us, the future is uncharted. But to God, it's really not. How many of you know he already knows what he has for you? In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11, I read it a few moments ago. God has a plan. God, he knows the thoughts that he's thinking for us. Thoughts of a future and a hope. Amen. He's got a great future and a hope-filled future for your life. From our perspective, we got to cooperate with the will of God and navigate our way into God's perfect plan for our life. I really feel like a lot of people are like the children of Israel. They've just been spiritually wandering around in the same old, same old, stuck in a spiritual rut with no real emphasis in life. I believe God wants us to get moving. Everyone say it's time to get moving. And so that's what we've been talking about. Each one of these lessons, they're designed to do three things. The first one is the, they're designed, these life lessons of spiritual progress are designed to lift the burden of the unknown off of your life. See, a lot of people get all burdened about the future. And you look at politics and you look at, you know, economics and you go, oh, my goodness, what, are, what in the world are we going to do? You know, I, I, I kind of fret over a couple of things. Can I tell you what I fret over? I really, I kind of fret. I'm going to confess, you know, I obsess over gas 
gas prices. I apologize, I do. It kind of drives my son crazy. But, you know, I, I see, I said, what are they thinking? I just bought it for this here, and I go two miles down the street, and it's 30 cents. I just kind of do that. Uh, that's my one little fret spot. But we all look at the future, and we fret, and we think, mm, I don't know, what are we going to do? Listen, God wants to help us. Begin to, he wants to lift the burden of the unknown. The, the second thing these life principles do of, of spiritual progress, they lighten the load of unrighteous uh, uh, burdens on our life. You see, a lot of us went because of the fact, and the reason the children of Israel wandered is because of unrighteousness. And when you begin to appropriate God's life lessons of spiritual progress, it just lightens that unrighteous load off of you, and you get, begin to become more like Him and begin to realize, whoo, it feels good to be free, amen? I talked to someone uh, in, in the foyer on the way in who told me this, Pastor, I just have to tell you this, that for 20-something years I've struggled with something. Michelle, I'm going to just call your name, right? lift your hand, Michelle. She said, and I've struggled, and I thought, and I didn't, didn't, and she said, but I'm telling you, uh, I have been set free. I've got this monkey off my back, and I could tell even before she testified that God had touched her life. How many of you know God wants to lift that off of our life? Amen. Woo, I'm getting excited already just in reviewing and preparing you for today's message. The third thing these lessons will do for you, uh, they will lead you into God's unwavering promise and purpose for your life. And that's a great deal. And so important things for us to plug into. Now, here they are. Here's the first three. I'm not going to re-preach them. The first life lesson I gave you was embrace the promises. And you look at Joshua and you'll realize that God empowered him to obtain and embrace the promises that God had spoken not only over him, but Moses. How many of you know God has a promise for your life? The second one was this, the priority of God's presence in your life. We learned in that session that without his presence, there's no reason for his promises. And so we need to embrace his presence. And that's what he told Joshua two or three times. He said, hey, I'm going to be with you. Everyone, turn around to your neighbor and say, he'll be with us. He'll go with us. Amen. He's, in fact, he said this, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Woo, somebody say amen. What a promise. Amen. And then last Sunday, and I encourage you, if you've missed any of these, to get on iTunes or our, our website and look them up and listen. The third life lesson of spiritual progress was the fear not factor. Everyone say fear not. God spoke to and just hammered it within Joshua. Be strong and of a good courage and fear not. Everyone say be strong. Everyone say be of a good courage. And everyone say fear not. Man, you got to get that fear not factor down. If you're going to move forward, and, and you know what? The children of Israel didn't apply that in their life. And as a result, their fears and doubts and unbelief kept them wandering in the wilderness uh, of, of sameness, eating manna every day. What is it? That's what it means. How many of you have ever sat down at a meal and with the best smile on your face, you could muster say, what is it? That's what they did every day, three times a day. Now today, I bring you up to this morning's life lesson of spiritual progress, and this is it. It's the taming of the tongue. Everyone say, the taming of the tongue. I missed this verse. This is one of you. I, I, thank you. I, this is kind of our keynote verse, Joshua 3. That you may know the way by which you must go, for you've not passed this way before. You see, that's why it's uncharted waters. And so, look at your neighbor and say, we've not passed this way before. We need God's revelation and insight in our life. So, 
Here we go. Now let's jump forward, jump me forward to the taming of the tongue. James chapter 1. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. James chapter 1 and then James chapter 3. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. I want you to follow along. James chapter 1 verse 26 says this. If anyone among you thinks he is religious. Everyone say religious. Now look up at me. That's not a bad word here. Some people, when you think the word religious, you think of religiosity and and the mundane, you know, the the keeping of rules and all the religiosity of the day. That's not what James is talking about. In fact, this word really could be translated this. It could be translated serving God or your service to God. In other words, you could say, uh, if anyone among you thinks he is serving God, you got it? And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's service of God is what? Say it. Worthless or useless. Now, I'm telling you something that is revolutionary right there. If anyone thinks he serves God and is serving God, but he does not bridle his tongue... But deceives his own heart. This one's religion or service of God is useless. Now, he elaborates in James chapter 3. Now, this is very important. And this is the, probably the longest, most detailed instruction uh, on the tongue in anywhere in the Bible. Now, there's everywhere throughout the Bible. But here is like a dissertation, a detailed description uh, and, and teaching on the tongue and the, the, the need for the tongue to be tamed. So let's jump in. Follow with me. I'm going to read 12 verses. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Look up at me. The word perfect means mature man. Here's what James says. James 1, he said, if you, if you If you think you're serving God, but you don't bridle your tongue, your religion or your service of God is useless. And then he comes and he says, if we bridle the tongue, we become spiritually mature and able also to bridle or bring under control every other area of our life. You see, I believe a lot of people, this is Pastor Sam's commentary, struggle with issues in life, and it really doesn't begin where you're trying to battle it. It begins with what's coming out of your mouth, which is really what what is on the inside of your heart. Let's move on. Indeed, and now, now here we go. Most, most scriptural teachings have an illustration. James feels the need to give three illustrations about the tongue. Okay, and let's look at them. He says, indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn the whole body, their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So there's the three illustrations. The bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder of a ship, and a little spark that starts a forest fire. Everyone say the bit, the rudder, and the spark. All of these have powerful 
illustrative insight into the, the danger or the benefit of a tongue that is tamed or the danger of a tongue that is not tamed. He says, the bit in the horse's mouth, you put it in there, and a little bitty bit controls, and I'm not an equestrian, but how many of you know a horse, you know, 1,000, 1,500 pounds? A little bit controls the strength and the direction of a huge horse. And even a rudder on a ship, it's a small thing, but it turns the ship whithersoever the pilot desires it to go. And then a little spark. How many of you, you know, we've actually, when we had our drought here, you know, we had some forest fires up north of us. You drive just a little north on 69, you'll see the effects. But how many of them, that's nothing compared to places in all around our nation where thousands and thousands of acres were just ravaged and thousands of homes burned because of a little spark. And what James is saying, we think our, our words are so small and, and unimportant. But they're like a bit in a horse's mouth. They're like a, the rudder on a ship. They're like a little spark that causes a forest fire. And so he's really doing everything he can to get across to us the dangers of an unbridled tongue. He goes on to say, here we are, verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. Now, we're talking about getting on course, and look what the tongue will do. It'll set your course on fire. And it is set on fire, that is our course, by hell. In other words, hell can come spewing out of our mouth and set the destiny of God ablaze in our life like a little spark in a forest fire. For every kind of beast, verse 7, and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But look at verse 8. But no man, that means mankind. You know, some ladies read that and they go, yeah, see, there ain't a man in the world can tame his tongue. But ladies, that means mankind. Guys, look at your wife so you're not off the hook here, baby. All right. It says, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Of course, the answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Of course, again, the answer is no. Therefore, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. In other words, he said, we've got an issue here with the tongue. And he says, mankind cannot tame the tongue. Now, with all that information, you hold it there because we're going to come back to it in just a little bit. Let's pause there. And now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because our illustration is the children of Israel. The children of Israel, when they, when they left Egyptian bondage and were led out in, through the wilderness by Moses, they quickly came to the promised land in Numbers 13 and 14. But the problem is, they, they did not keep their mouth shut. And as a result, 
They wandered in the wilderness, so among other things they did wrong. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, really the first uh, 12 verses, has, or first 11 verses, has to do with the children of Israel. And it says this, I, oh, let me just jump in because uh, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, they all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. That lets us know he's talking about the children of Israel and the wilderness wanderings. Verse 5, but with most of them... God was not well pleased because their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And it says that some, that, and we look at their lives as an example to not lust after evil things, not be idolaters. And verse 8, don't commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell. And then verse 9, don't tempt Christ as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents. And then number 10, the last one. How many of you know sometimes the last point's the most important point? The last one, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. They sinned with their mouth. And if I had time, we could go back to Numbers 14, and I would encourage you to write this down. And especially look over into verse 26 through 37 in Numbers 14, where they complained to the point that, that the, the whole uh, nation of Israel were crying and complaining and trying to stone Joshua and Caleb, who came back with a good report. And God got so upset that he said, okay, all of you complainers, your carcasses are going to be, you're going to fall in the wilderness. And for every day that the, the spies spied out the land for 40 days, for every day that you went in and brought back a bad report and, and sinned with your tongue and complained, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. For every day is a year. And that's where God got the 40 years. He said, now your kids, now this is important. I wish I had time to just delve off into this deep. Uh, he said, your kids who you said would be victims, I'm going to bring them, everybody that's 20 years old and younger, I'm going to bring them into the promised land. But you're dying. Your carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness. Ooh, you need to read it. Because you complained. How many of you know James and God are kind of on track here? And so the children of Israel sinned a great sin with their tongue. And as a result, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and finally died. That's the reason they want. Listen, they didn't wander in the wilderness because they committed sexual immorality. God forbid. They wandered in the wilderness because they complained. Because they did not understand the importance of taming the tongue. Now fast forward 40 years. How many of the kids, uh, there was a lot of kids 20 years old, they heard all this, and they get up there again in 40 years. The last, can you imagine the last old Israelite on his deathbed? Everybody's going, come on. Somebody lay hands on him suddenly. Because we're tired of this wilderness. It's been 40 years. And they get right up there. And by the way, Joshua doesn't send 12 spies into the land. He only sends two. That's a smart leadership move. How many of you get too many people's opinion, you're going to get a bad one? He sends them in, not to see if they 
if they could, but how? And so they come back and they give a good report. And now, when you see Joshua motivating the children of Israel today, we're going in to possess the promises. We're moving forward now. You notice, and if you read the story, they do not complain. They have figured this out. We are not going to complain. God forbid that we should wander in the wilderness another moment longer. We're tired of what is it? We want to move into God's perfect plan for our life. And they do not say a thing. They learn some things. I love what Proverbs 17, 27 says, he who has knowledge spares his words. They had gotten some knowledge. You complain about it, you're stuck. You start complaining to the Lord and, and, and you murmur against the Lord, you'll be stuck. Your spiritual progress will be stifled. And so they don't say a word. And God leads them on in to the promised possession. And then fast forward a little, little further. They, you know, they got a good word after they got across, you know, make flint knives and circumcise. circumcise. That's a whole other message. But now they're before the Jericho and they have new instructions to march around Jericho. And you know what Moses, pardon me, Joshua told them? He said, now we're talking about a lot of people marching around Jericho for seven days, I believe. He says, don't make a sound out of your mouth and do not speak one word until I tell you to shout. What did Joshua know as well? In the middle of all of this, if we sin with our words, we lose the victory of God that he has for us. And they obeyed. Somebody say amen. They had learned their lesson. They learned that, hey, knowledge, a man who has obtained knowledge spares his words. They learned that complaining and murmuring has a paralyzing impact on our life. And so, now back to James. Because the children of Israel are a great example. Let me give you four thoughts about this unruly tongue that you and I need to understand. The unruly tongue is devastatingly, number one, destructive. Someone said this once, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Wrong. Words have the power of being terribly destructive. In fact, I love the message. In fact, you ought to read the message uh, uh, from time to time. It's just a paraphrase. It's not something that you would really study the Bible, but it gives you a flavor of what God is saying. Here's what the message says about uh, uh, James 3 verse 4. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything, pause, or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. And that's what happened with the children of Israel. They murmured, and as 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10 says, they were destroyed by the destroyer. And how many of you, how many of you know that for us, John 10, 10 says, it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we need to understand that an unruly tongue, a tongue that has not been tamed, and we're going to talk about that, is devastatingly destructive. Brings destruction in people's lives. Number two, an unruly tongue is deliberately defiling. 
Look what chapter uh, 3, verse 6 in James says. It says this, that, that, let me get back over there, because it says it will defile an unruly tongue, an unholy tongue will defile what? The whole body. It'll defile the whole body. Now, that word defile means to stain or soil. Anyone here ever been stained or soiled? By an unruly tongue. It makes a mark. And you can't get it off. How many of you know once there's a stain, there's always a stain. Only Jesus and his blood can wash away the stain. You know, we had one of our senators here last week or a week before. Just had a, a mental breakdown when the cameras were rolling. And said terrible things about rape. And his words stained him and potentially have the power of affecting the outcome of the presidential election because of some words that were spoken without thinking, spoken without proper knowledge and understanding. And forever, bless his heart, he apologized, he repented, but forever he'll be known as the senator who stained his reputation and potentially stained the Republican Party because of his words that were certainly not fitly spoken. You see, the Bible says in verse 6, it says, it's a fire. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It's deliberately defiling. It'll stain your life. And not only you, but the the people you speak it to. Number three, an unruly tongue is not only devastatingly destructive and deliberately defiling, but it's diabolically demonic. Your tongue, untamed by God, is the tool of the devil. Its nature is evil. It is not naturally good. It is naturally evil. And the devil uses it. And why would he use it? In fact, let me just pause and say, uh, I don't have time to go there. Proverbs 6, there's a couple of verses where it says, Six things the Lord hates, yea, seven. Did you know three of the seven are sins of the tongue? There's seven things God hates, and three of the seven have to do with what comes out of your mouth. Isn't that amazing? And the devil knows that, and he, he, and he knows that, hey, if you're unsubmitted, that's why in Wednesday night we're going we're gonna to get ourselves on the altar, and we're going to begin to surrender ourselves to the control and influence of God, because we don't need our tongue being used by the devil to bring destruction and, and defilement in the world that we live in. It says it's set on fire by hell. Did you know the devil knows? Listen, go back to the promise. If a man can tame his tongue, he not only tames his tongue, but he tames his whole body. You remember that? Did you know the devil knows if he can get your tongue, he got your whole body? Hello? He knows that if he can control the way you talk, he can control every other area of your life and affect you and the future of your life. And so 
It's devastatingly destructive. It's deliberately defiling. It's diabolically demonic. And the unruly tongue is decisively deadly. Now it says it's full of deadly poison. Everyone say poison. The Greek, or pardon me, uh, yeah, the Greek there is a, it's the, it's, it's a snake bite. How many of you know snakes don't accidentally bite? They're very deliberate. You bug them, they will bite you. And there are some snakes that the poison, I think they call them a two-stepper. If they get a good grip on you, the reason they're two-steppers is you've got about two steps before you die. Deadly poison. These words that are unruly, our tongue that is unsubmitted and not under the control of the Holy Spirit, they're full of deadly poison. And we all know Proverbs 18, 21, if we don't, we should. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Everyone say Proverbs 18, 21. And everyone say death and life are in the power of the tongue. Understand something about our tongue. It It is devastatingly destructive. An unruly tongue, it's, it's, it's deliberately defiling and it is diabolically demonic and it is decisively deadly. Bad words spread death. Not only, hey, listen, when you, when you do not control your tongue, not only do you poison your life, but everybody who hears you. Some of you have been poisoned by other people's words. And so what you do in response to that, what are you, what are we doing? We're poisoning everybody else with our words. Wow. How many of you know this is pretty important about navigating through uncharted water? Children of Israel, 40 years, not because of sins of the flesh, uh, of just, of, of like lust and sexual, sins of the tongue stifled their future. They died in the wilderness. They were overthrown and they died because of the words they said. Well, that's just a spiritual illustration, Pastor. No, it is not. Your words can poison you and kill you. And hey, bless God, our words can kill others. That's what the devil came to do. And he wants to use you and use me with our tongue. Wow, pastor. You better help me out now. Now, Let me give you a little good news. Let me give you a little good news. You can tame the tongue. Oh, wait a minute. I thought it says no human, no man can tame the tongue. That is correct. Humanity in and of itself cannot tame this deadly, sinful, poisonous, demonic, destructive tongue. Mankind cannot do it. You say, well, what on earth are we going to do? If we can't tame it, what are we we going to do? Well, let let me just say, just because it says no man can tame the tongue does not mean the tongue cannot be tamed. In fact, when you read on in James, James said, this shouldn't be the case. We've got to fix this. You see, how many of you know, no man can get saved on his own. 
Salvation, you can't save yourself. It takes Jesus saving you. But how many of you know to get saved, you've got to cooperate with the grace of God? And no man can tame the tongue. You can't just bite your tongue. You will eventually erp up somewhere this poison on the inside of you because it is inherently evil. And so we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and cooperate with God. And in in just a few moments, hey, we're going to come to a place where we ask the Holy Spirit to come upon our mouth. And so let me give you some good news this morning. Let me give you three simple thoughts. And listen, we could make this into a series. Let me give you three simple thoughts about taming your tongue. And as a result, turning the course of your life and arriving at the destiny of God for your life and navigating through the uncharted waters of your future. The first one is this. If you're going to tame the tongue, you got to get your heart right. Everyone say, get your heart right. Now, Luke chapter 6, I would encourage you to turn over there. Luke chapter 6, the words of Jesus, powerful words in reference to taming our tongue. He says this about our tongue. He says in verse 42, no, let's see, uh, verse 45, he says, A good man, out of the good treasure of his what? Heart, brings forth what? Good. If you got a good heart? You're going to have a good fruit, right? An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth what is what? Evil. And then he tells how it happens. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everyone say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you've got a good heart, you're going to speak good. If you've got an evil heart, you're going to speak evil. And then he said, out of the abundance of the heart, you see, the abundance, let me read this to you. The word abundance infers this, uh, whatever voice has the majority vote in your heart will be what controls what comes out of your mouth, and what comes out of your mouth determines your destiny. Whatever has the majority vote in your heart, whatever has control of your heart, will determine what comes out of your mouth. And what comes out of your mouth is evidence of what controls your heart. Are you with us? And whatever comes out of your mouth because of what's in your heart determines the destiny upon your life. You see, the children of Israel had an evil heart. And so they murmured and they complained and they doubted God. And as a result, they were overthrown in their wilderness and they died in the wilderness and their carcasses were, were, were laid in the wilderness. And, and they said, they even said, our children are victims. They spoke it over their kids. So get your heart right. I love what the proverb writer says uh, concerning the heart. Uh, No, David the psalmist said this in Psalm 19, 14. He said, let the words of my mouth, notice the correlation, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. David knew there were some serious issues with his heart. In fact, if you fast forward to Psalm 51 when he sinned, he said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. And renew a steadfast and right spirit within me. Hey, if you want to tame your tongue... Get your heart right with God. And how many of you know that's a cooperation with the grace of God? You surrender your heart to Him, 
Give over your heart to the control and influence of God and you yield to Him His mercy and grace. In fact, the Bible says He'll, he'll give you a brand new heart. Amen? And out of the abundance of your new heart, your mouth will begin to speak. Everyone say, get your heart right. Number two, get your thoughts right. Now, these all kind of work together. Everyone say, get your thoughts right. Now, Philippians 4, 6 through 8, write that down. I'm not going to go over there and read it. Philippians 4, 6 through 8, uh, Paul tells the Philippians that we need to think on good things. In other words, began to proactively change the way you think in life. You see, when Jesus comes into your heart, he wants to then change the way you think and redeem your brain. Everyone point right here. Say, be healed in Jesus' name. He wants to clean up the stinking thinking. And so Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says, Whatever is good, right, holy, think on these things. Are you with me? So we got to get our thoughts right and begin to think. And what does the Bible say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But the Bible also says whatever's in our heart, whatever we think as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So our thoughts are hugely important. Now, here, let me just, let me throw out a methodology. How many of you want a methodology? It's called thinking before you speak. It's a strange thought for some. In fact, I was listening to Robert Morris, one of his podcasts about this topic. He said, there's three types of people here. And he said, really, four types of people. I love this. He said, there's four kinds of people. Those who think before they speak. Those who think while they're speaking. I have to do that sometimes from the pulpit. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. And then those who think... After they speak, have you ever said so? You ever said something? And, said, and then he said, "Number four, those who just don't think at all. They're just not thinking. They're just speaking." I don't know where you fit. I don't know if you think before you speak, or you think while you're speaking, or you think after you speak, or you just not thinking at all. And he, Robert, said, if, when he preached his message on this. And by the way, this is not Robert Morris's message. I just, I let him inspire me, but I love this, this thought he gave. He, he said a friend of his came up after this message that he was speaking on the tongue and he said, pastor, it's the wait. God spoke to me. You need to wait. He said, okay, like wait before you speak. He said, yes, wait, W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? Everyone say, why am I talking? Did you know the Bible says even a fool is considered wise when he keeps his mouth shut? <laughs> we get our hearts right, but we need to get our thoughts right and begin to think before we talk, before we speak and say, okay, I'm wanting to speak, but why am I speaking? Now, Here's an interesting psalm, or pardon me, interesting proverb, Proverbs 18, 21. He who answers a matter 
before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Now, no one lift your hand. But is there someone sitting close to you who's always interrupting you? Who, while you're talking, they think while you're talking, and before they even know where you're going, they're interrupting and they're talking on top of you. Don't lift your hand, even though I'd love to see that. Let's turn it around. How many of you, every once in a while, you've made that mistake? You, you, before you even know what they're talking about, you're, you're interjecting, you're talking. Or do you finish somebody else's story? Wait a minute, it was their story. The Bible says it's folly and shame. See, we got to wait. Let me tell you, I'm 56 years old. And I always used to, I, I jest about this now, but Pastor Ron always said, I know why he wanted to be my friend and be around me because there's a lot of things he wanted to say, but he knew he shouldn't. So he'd carry me along because he knew I, I, I couldn't keep my mouth shut and I'd just say it. <laughs> I'm 56 years old and today, probably five to 10 times or more a day, I say, I'm not going to say that. That will not be productive. That will be destructive. That will be demonic. That will be deadly. I'm not saying that. I'm going to wait. Why am I talking? Everyone say, get your heart right. Everyone say, get your thoughts right. Number three, get your guard up. Get your guard up. Just three quick thoughts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. You see, we could talk a whole month on getting your guard up right here. How to guard your heart. Proverbs 21.23, He who guards, catch this, He who guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Soul, if we want to be New Testament, mind, will, and emotions. He who guards his tongue keeps his mind, his will, and his emotions out of trouble. Most people's mind, will, and emotions stay troubled because of the words they speak. <laughs> Are you getting it? We've got to guard our mouth. He said, I'm going to guard my mouth. He who guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. See, most troubles, could I tell you, the majority of the trouble you and I have been through is self-inflicted? No, it ain't, preacher. It's all, there you went that tongue again. There went that complaining spirit again. David said this in Psalm 39.1, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. I'm not just going to bite my tongue. I'm going to put a muzzle over my mouth. I know some of you have been wanting to put a muzzle on somebody else's mouth. But why don't we start with ours? 
and put a muzzle over our mouth. Get your guard up. Listen, understand something. This is the thing about words. You can never take them back. You can say it, but it's hollow. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. But it's too late. Now, let me give you some better good news. You want some better good news? It's 12.05, but I warned you. Here we go. Notice, if you go back to Proverbs 18.21, death and life, everyone say and life, are in the power of the tongue. Now, let me say it this way. To the same degree the tongue is destructive, defiling, demonic, and deadly, is the same degree that the tongue can bring health, life, hope, and destiny. You see, it's not just in what you don't say, it's what you do say. And death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let me give you three thoughts. A bridal tongue is a bridal life. (laughs) A bridal tongue is a bridal life. You can control every other area of your life. Once you begin to let... Cooperate with the grace of God and let the Lord begin to take control of your tongue. It's a bridled life. Number two, a bridled tongue is an influential life. Remember James 1.26, your religion is useless, turn it around. If you bridle your tongue, your religion, your walk with God, your relationship with God, your service of God becomes very influential. A bridal tongue is a bridal life. A bridal tongue is, a, is an influential life. And for our topic this morning, a bridal tongue is a progressive and productive life. You begin to move forward. Two of the three illustrations James gave, the horse and the ship, have to do with progress and work and moving forward and finding and heading in the right direction of life. A bridal tongue begins to move. Hey, even through the storms of life, the Word of God and the Word fitly spoken moves you through the storms of life and uh, you, you arrive at, uh, at the destiny of God for your life because the rudders ride in your life. Amen. Now we're going to close and pray. Two verses, you can look at, them, look at them later. Isaiah 6, Acts 2. Isaiah 6, Isaiah, catch this. Follow me. I wish I had more time. Isaiah 6, Isaiah, has a, he sees the Lord, he sees heaven. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the angels and seraphim. He was right there. And you know what he said? He said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean The biggest conviction when he got into the manifest presence of Almighty God was the conviction about the way he talked. Woe is me. And an angel took a coal from off the altar, touched his lips, And God said, now catch this. Confess the sin of his lips. 
angel cleansed his tongue with a coal off the altar. Everyone say altar. That's where we're headed these next few Wednesday nights. And God said, who will go? Oh, that sounds like progress. And Isaiah could say, here am I. Send me. How many of you know God's serious about the way we talk? Fast forward to the first century church. The resurrected Christ promised them the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There they were in the upper room. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The first, listen, the first manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the earth to the church was fixing their tongue. Letting the Holy Spirit begin to control their speech. You see, if you can control the tongue, you can control every other area of your life and arrive at the destiny of God for your life. Some of you have been circling in a confused state for so long. And it's all because of the way you've talked. Paralyzed. Unproductive. Bitter, angry, frustrated. Poisoned by words. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask no one to leave. I warned you, this may take a little time. But I believe today the Holy Spirit and the angel of God, you take the Old and the New Testament illustration, God wants to come and cleanse our tongue. All we need to do is get our hearts right and get our thoughts right. Began to let the conviction of God, like Isaiah did, fall upon the sins of our mouth. And then we can begin to declare a whole new destiny for our life. If you go back to the children of Israel, Joshua and Caleb had it down. And by the way, they're the only two old men that entered the promised land because they kept their words right. Numbers 13 and 14, the bad report came. Joshua and Caleb said, we are able to go up and take the country. We can do it. They spoke the word. Your destiny Your future is waiting on your mouth to cooperate with the will of God. Let's bow our heads before the Lord.